Good day, everyone. Hello, hello. Once again, I am filling in for Phyllis, my partner, who I'm hoping we're going to come back on the show both together and uh, be the dynamic duo once again that we're all finished with our busy lives. Got an uh, interesting show today. We have tried to stick with the concepts of reconciliation and and uh, bring people together and talk about a lot of different issues on this show. And um, one of them that's kind of close to my heart and a lot of people and the medical system of British Columbia and our newly founded ICBC with the no-fault insurance thing going on. It's uh, it's a bit of a nightmare out there, Steve. What do you think about that? (laughs) Not interested. Not interested. He's fortunately, he doesn't have to be interested. And that seems to be what the problem with a lot of this is, is that people are quite unrelatable to the fact of some of the issues that are going on to do with uh, with what's going on with our medical system and how we access medical care. Um, our standards seem to have been set by the things that are happening, like the WCB, and uh, legal issues to do with health care. And uh, my curiosity is how did health care become a legal issue to begin with? Perhaps if it was fraud, that might be it. And uh, workplace injury is a, a huge, huge portion of what happens. And vast majority of people, they can pick up and carry on and go back to work. But there's a lot of people out there that end up not being in that position. And The guest that I have coming on today, who unfortunately, the reason why I'm rambling on and on, is a a paralegal from Toronto, Ontario, with fightwcb at gmail.com. His name is Paul Taylor, and he is a paralegal on his way to being a lawyer who is a previously injured worker who has seen the plights of things going on with this type of system. Um... It's very, very difficult for people to explain what's happening because half the time they don't even realize what's going on themselves. Believe it or not, if you're injured, you're injured and you're just dealing with that every day on a regular basis. So it's it's very, very hard to uh, manage the things that happen within your life. Uh, it's not a very fun place to be. I'm... Uh, I'm sad for a lot of people in this province who have to deal with these types of issues or just even anything to do with the medical system and try to get any competent answers or answers of confidence other than being handed a prescription pill, which in fact can create bigger problems for everybody. So we're all in this same boat. Unfortunately, what's happened within the province, uh, and I can confidently speak as someone who's been dealing with the system through for 36 years going on as of October the 2nd this year uh, it's it's not what people would think it is a lot of us have sun life and a lot of us have those other types of insurances that pick up where WCB leaves off but uh, that doesn't always work for everybody and then you end up tossed into the social system now when WCB turns down a claim, they just don't pay for it. You're still hurt. You need medical treatment. What do you do? You have to go to your basic insurance provider, which is basically um, BC Medical, and put the onus on them, which way, way 
overtaxes the system in a lot of ways. Um, for now, until our, our guest Paul can come here with us, I'm going to pass on to you a few uh, groups that are out there that can help people with this type of thing. There's quite a few of them, and they're national. They're not just provincial. They are all the way across Canada. There is uh, fightwcb at gmail.com, and that's the group that Paul's with in Ontario. Uh, he'll be able to speak fully on that. They have actually, in fact, started a national claims charter against WCB. Uh, there is also a Saskatchewan WCB crimes against injured workers. That's another one that's, that's there. Oh, sounds like I've got Paul on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. I'm so uh, glad to have this gentleman with us. Speaks volumes to the case that we're trying to bring against uh, what these people, the malfeasance and the problems that they've been creating within our medical community for decades. Good day, Paul. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Echo. How are you doing today? Uh, you know, I've been doing pretty good. Uh, everybody just had to listen to me ramble on about stuff for a little while there. I hope it made sense. <laughs> sometimes none of, this, <laughs> none of this makes sense sometimes when you're dealing with uh, this type of a law and a situation. Hey? No, nothing makes sense when you deal with the law, period. <laughs> These days, it seems, that's for sure. And yeah. the law that we're speaking of is the law that is the quasi-judicial system of WCB. Now, they brought this uh, this system in of uh, uh, a quasi-judicial system where there's a board and a chairperson of these boards to mediate these things to keep them out of court. Now, they are failing miserably. People are unable to put proper evidence through and all that kind of thing, and uh, they are unable to find a lawyer to help them. So, so where do you fit into all of this? Well, Echo, in a, in a unique distinction, speaking specifically about injured workers is one example, and I say injured workers because it is a very unique situation in that when you talk about representation, for example, in Ontario, and I can't confirm it for the other provinces yet, but I'm pretty safe to say that in each province they have what they call as the worker advisor. And that's, uh, like, supposed to be separate of the board. It usually is. Like, you know what I mean when I say supposed to be, it is. Mm -hmm. But it's funded by the workers' compensation system. And the sole job of them is to make sure that injured workers don't go without representation. But, voila, it's happening every day. And the reason why is because a good example is if you look to Ontario's law, it says that the worker advisor is to represent injured workers. But then if you read further down, it says the Minister of Labor themselves sets the budget. And then the, the Workers' Compensation Board pays that budget out of the, the, insur or the, the monies that are collected from employer premiums. When you well, say the I mean, budget, Paul, do you mean the payment for the workers' advisor to work on your case, or or how do you mean the the what what context of payment is there? Because in reality, a worker is fighting for lost wages. 
uh, representation for their medical injuries to not just be singled down to one. There's usually a multi-layer of injuries that are left untreated. Oh, exactly. if, if you're having like, these issues, it's 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 a, not a, an easy process. And is it is it uh, fair to say that the workers' advisor is just a fake front of people that will I, I advise you that to a large like extent? Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say that the worker advisors fake or anything. The problem with them is that they're controlled in every province by the Minister of Labor. So the Minister of Labor sets their budget. So if they don't want the worker advisor doing a good job, well, the most common sense thing is cut their budget. Cut their budget to the point where they can't actually function. Like in 25 years of having my own personal injury, um, I went to the worker advisor umpteen times, and every time I was told it would be a two- to five-year wait. Okay, I understand. I'm patient, but my landlord in the grocery store won't wait five years. Yes, exactly. You know now, these are the issues that I'm I'm speaking to. Now, now I'd yeah. like to jump right to the core of this and maybe forget about these guys and and what they do and focus on the um, aspect of law, actually, and why... Why is it that, you know, you're hurt on the job, you're hurt pretty bad, you go in, I mean, for something, let's say, as simple as a cut on your leg and you get stitches. So so why do they have to go through all these ploys to def- deny you payments so that they don't have lost time injuries? Why do we want to f- fake all these stats? Because really, in fact, they're not... Um, they're absolutely not working in a correct way to get people going. Why is it an issue of law when you get hurt? Well, okay, so it's a general, it's a general, um, it, it goes across every, what I would call as free and democratic society, that every individual, when they've been harmed or suffered an injury, has a right of what the legal people call as redress, meaning you have a right to be made right or whatever. Okay, but that's not happening. And so people are no, 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 no. If you let me finish quickly, okay, is is back in 1910 or whatever, early 1890s in Ontario, that's where the workers' compensation system actually was, so to speak, started. And the Ontario government, it wasn't really that they went, oh my goodness. It was really because they started to realize that employer, that injured workers were being successful in civil court and suing their employers. So then they went, everybody went, okay, now we better sit down and come up with a system that works for everyone. Employers get immunity and workers get a right to workers' compensation because, and this is very important, they do not become a burden to their family, friends, and most importantly to society. Right. Right? Because there's three parts to a work injury. There's three parties. There's the employer, the injured worker, but most importantly, it's society. This is the one that most people forget. It angers me because politicians always say, you know, oh, workers' comp, they treat it like welfare, which it is not. It is solely and exclusively funded by employers privately. Correct. So it's, it's like, like, but not. It's like car insurance. And, and so, so this is what's happening to people is that they're going and they, they expect these things to be paid by, BC, or by WCB and they turn them down and they must go to the BC medical system to have these injuries covered. Right, and that's right across the country because... Exactly, it's not just BC, it's not just Ontario. Right, no, it's right across the entire country. I've mm-hmm. talked to injured workers right across Canada. 
And fortunately, though, and I know most will go, what do you mean fortunately? Fortunately for Canadians, we do have, well, public health care. And I say, well, sort of. But there's there's this hidden covert movement to privatize it. But that's another that's another, another show. story, yeah. right? And and what I would honestly say is that that's a God saving for many injured workers because at least you can get immediate treatment and care now, right? I, I absolutely and, concur with that. Right. But that doesn't change the fact of how these people manage to oh. when you have an injury that's real and happening and yes said by doctors that a board doctor can turn around your legal right, call you a liar, right down to being a malingerer, and and not treat you through the proper funding with no oversight from any form of government. It was originally... Well, there is. There is oversight, and there is accountability. The problem is, is that the system is broken. See, it's what's ironic is if you study... In 1913, 1910 to 1913, when they started looking at workers' compensation, what is really, I say funny, I don't mean funny, that's a bad word, but I mean what is interesting should be the correct word. Um, Because to me, life is just hilariously stupid, right? But what is funny with the system is that if you look at Meredith's reports, right, and, and I just use Ontario as an example because that's where it started. In Meredith's reports, there was things like, Employers wanted, uh, they didn't want to have to fully fund the system. Um, Employers wanted uh, a limitation by age on benefits, meaning once you turn 65, you don't get benefits anymore. Employers wanted limits on on the disability. Everything that they wanted then, Meredith said, no, you're not getting it. What's interesting is today, when you look at the workers' compensation law compared to the first law in Ontario, and no doubt in B.C., Alberta, Saskatchewan, right across the whole country, you would see a dramatic change in how the legislatures in the provinces have changed dramatically. What's even more funny is that the employer said they didn't want an independent workers' compensation board because it would be uh, uh, run by the government and they wouldn't be treated fairly. What were you just talking to me about, how they treat injured workers now? So there's a complete reversal. Yes. How did all this happen? And what happened was is you have to take a step further back and outside of workers' comp and go on to what they call the global economic system. And what happened was in the, in the 80s and 90s, remember Margaret Thatcher and Reagan with his trickle-down economics, mm-hmm. glo- globalization, whatever they call it? Absolutely. There was actually an economic, yeah, it's called neoliberalism. Yeah. And what happened was is they basically said cut all the social programs, a uh, business is king, screw the individual, you know what I mean? Yes. Well, what what's ironic is is they looked at workers compensation as a social program, but it isn't. It's 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 it literally it's independent. Yes, and, 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 a, and, an, and an employer might have had a right to almost feel that way, considering they have certain issues with these guys as well. I mean, I know people that don't even expand their businesses because their costs of WCB were so high. And, and no, that's when garbage. You, okay, Make uh, a I, safe I, okay can, I, can I say something else here? Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. No, no worries. Sorry. And, and what else is happening is that employers are forced into um, drawing workers back on the job to try and defraud them out of out of their income. They're put in positions where they're actually extorted into um, doing uh, wrongful things to workers just to facilitate the board. I, I mean, for some places, I, let's say you want, don't want a lost time injury within your 
within your workplace, right? So you and mm-hmm. the board negotiate to not have your uh, not have the injury claimed until after that year ends, so you can have a year free. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people don't even have the ability to find out that are going. Uh, on behind their back about their own personal and private information that's going that's the another big thing that's happening here with these guys is that people aren't able to access their medical information they don't know what's being said about them amongst the workers and the doctors and and sometimes if they are able to get a hold of that information it's absolutely unbelievable they're basically, when they're denying your claim, charging you with fraud and calling you a liar. No, they're not yes, basically you... charging you with fraud. No, they are. For so, example, so in Ontario, and I use Ontario. Someone. Sorry? Yeah. So, so workers here in B.C. go to doctors, mm-hmm. and their doctors say, I don't want to treat you anymore for this. You're creating too much paperwork. Leave my office or else they will deny that the person has the issue that they have, even though they have it, because mm-hmm. they are told by the board, we're not going to deal with this. So okay, then that the is another issue. Exactly. That is another so, issue. So we're running into why problems are doctors, like this why are doctors, doctors? Oh, sorry. Why are doctors ignoring, like, why aren't they not advocating, but why aren't they just being doctors? And the reason why is a twofold effect by the board. One is, is board staff are calling the doctor and intimidating, harassing, and influencing them. And there was actually a case in Ontario where the Ontario uh, Compensation Board had a doctor fired because they refused to change their, their, um, their diagnosis. The doctor actually successfully sued in court. What happened was they sued and the board settled out of court. I'm sorry, when the board settles out of court, they're admitting fault, right? Exactly. Say, no, no, no. And also, no, they nothing goes on the now, hang record. On, hang on, Echo, let me, let me tell yeah. you something really, really important about this point. Okay. What people are missing is this, and they need to, what I tell my clients when I talk, because I represent injured workers in Ontario and a couple in Alberta, because I'm a paralegal. Now, what I tell them is, when I first meet with them, go to your doctor and tell them this. Number one, when the board calls them and talks to them, Tell them not to. Tell them to put everything in writing. Do not talk to me. You don't have a right to. You show me in the law where it says I have to talk to you. It's, it says that I have to provide you whatever health information required. It says I have to provide you reports. I have no problem with that. Make the request in writing. The reason why is because when they talk to the doctor, it's, it's all on, on the phone and there's no record of it. So that's, that's a, any good lawyer paralegal lawyer whatever agent will tell you don't do things over the phone like that because there's no documentation of it the other point is that you want to tell the the board too is that you don't talk to my doctor and they'll go we can do whatever we want no when they talk to the doctor and they start influencing them it is no different than a party in a legal proceeding like criminal civil whatever influencing a witness specifically an expert witness and by the way, there was actually a section in the criminal court. Oh, I Paul, say shoot, we got to take a quick break. I'm just getting so into sure, this sure, right sure. here. We, we'll be back in a couple of minutes, and you guys get your pens out because we're going to re- reiterate this information. Okay. In a confused and broken world, truth, hope, and light are found in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Join us Sundays at 7 p.m. as we host Pastor Chris Gordon of Abounding Grace Radio. Pastor Gordon preaches from all of the scriptures with a special focus on how they testify about Jesus. Brought to you by Prince George Canadian Reformed Church. Don't miss Abounding Grace Radio at its new times, Sundays at 7.30 a.m. and 7 o'clock p.m. here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Abounding Arts Centre is looking for an arts coordinator. Their arts coordinator will play a pivotal role in shaping the artistic vision and outreach programs at the centre. The position expires April 11th with an opportunity for an extension based on available funding. Compensation and work schedule will be based on experience. To apply, email a PDF or your resume and cover letter to info at omnicaartscenter.com. To request a full job description, email info at omnicaartscenter.com. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly sunny with local smoke, a high of 28 with a high UV index. Tonight, clear with local smoke, a low of 9. On Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud with local smoke, a 30% chance of showers late in the afternoon with a high of 26. You're tuned into Community Echoes on 93.1 CFIS-FM with Phyllis Warren. Hey, hey, it's Echo back with uh, Community Echoes. Not Phyllis in today, but uh, she'll hopefully be in here soon. And today I have a special guest from Ontario, Canada, who has a national class charter going against the Workmen's Compensation Board. This is Mr. Paul Taylor here with us. Hi, Paul. Oh, don't call me Mr. Just Paul is good. <laughs> All right, there we go. Hey, Paul. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Getting back to what you were saying, um, there, there are so two you, really important points. Right. Was one was does the board and the staff have immunity? Meaning, can they do whatever they want to you? No, they cannot. No, no person, no government agency in Canada has that power. No one does. That's in the constitution. What they'll do is they'll use common sense and they'll go, yeah, but then, no, and I know this, which is they will use the power of their money and saying, well, we're going to suspend your benefits, right? Which is what they do, and, and then you're scared to death, right? That's fear-mongering. Right. And, and, but the, the thing is, is that when they do that, if what they did was in what they call is good faith, honest mistake, fine, no problem. If it was deliberate, mean, like what I like to say is I like to pull the race card, meaning what if that injured worker was a black person, an indigenous person, a woman, right? What is the distinction between treating them and anyone else different? And that means is if the decision was done in good faith, it's fair. Meaning, how do you know that they're not denying it because they're black or indigenous or a woman or whatever, right? And it's because you did the decision fairly. But if they're not doing it fairly, that's the deciding factor in any decision maker, whether it be a lowly board member, you know, decision maker, or all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada. That's the same standard, is they have to give reasons, and those reasons have to be fair. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be able to read it and go, yeah, I get it. When a decision comes to you and you're like, I don't, not only do I not understand it, there's no reasons here. Okay, so you know, that, that, I used that is to, not justified. I, I used to have this thing in my head where I wanted to have a contest of the most stupid decision uh, remarks that the board has made to deny your claim. That was that was something that uh, <laughs> because I noticed how ridiculous these things were. Hey, and uh, so what does a person do when they're in stuck in this? This is, okay, well, uh, Echo, sorry, um, this is the one thing that angers me the most. The most critical point for injured workers is the appeal stage right here. 
And believe it or not, do you know there's one province in Canada that injured workers have that power to say, I'm going to appeal, and, and they don't have any worry because they can apply what they call for as interim benefits, and that's Alberta. Well, that's, believe it or not, it wasn't the Conservative government that did it. It was the NDP under Rachel Notley. Right, right. So, um, so BC, Ontario, everybody else, if you appeal a decision, and that decision could have been off the wall insanely stupid. You have to wait for the appeal process to go through, and then you get your benefits. Meanwhile, you've lost your home, your car, your family, and everything. And the board will say, depending on the province, well, we're paying your benefits and you're paying your interest, that's it. But there actually, you do have other recourse. If you can prove that it was, like I was saying, not done in good faith, or even if, it, if there was some form of negligence or harm to you as a result, the problem is is getting the courts to recognize that you're, I hate to say it, but you're a human being and you have rights. The courts have taken this weird stand that boards have absolute immunity when there's only one law in, on, in Canada, and that's Manitoba for some weird reason, that they have immunity. All the other provinces, the bo- listen carefully, the board has no immunity. The board staff are the ones that have limited immunity. And that immunity is so long as they act in good faith, meaning honest, right? Right, right. So, and that's the problem that I have with the courts is that every time I deal with even the, the, the human rights tribunals, right, they're saying, no, they have judicial immunity. I'm like, are you insane? Where does it say that? Right? Yeah, I, I, I know of a fellow who was doing a judicial review here. He was an advocate who actually he was doing so successfully with judicial reviews and helping. Uh, they told him that mm-hmm. if he didn't stop um, doing his advocacy, they would charge him for practicing law without a license here in B.C. Well, if and, he was, and yet, see, so, I would argue, I would argue that as long as he wasn't charging anybody any fees, then they couldn't do that. Exactly. That's that was what I would understand as well too, and I'm I'm not sure that he did. So um, yeah, it's it's all very uh, very disturbing how they can. It is. It's a fixed system. And this isn't. And it isn't the government that you can go after. There's no one party that's to blame for this. I mean, Shirley Bond let this go on. Every pr- pr- um, minister of health, every minister of social services, every newspaper, every labor organization. That's what gets I me, will right? Say, though, Echo, I will say, though, Echo, I will say that generally, are, out of the political parties, the worst one for injured workers and workers' compensation is the Conservatives Yeah. today in Canada. The better one is the NDP. The Liberals, eh, you know what I mean? But what's ironic is the party the, the party that created workers' compensation in 1910 was the Conservative. Justice Meredith, Sir Justice William Meredith, the, the guy that headed the Royal Commission, he was the Conservative, a premier, former Premier of Ontario. And now all his principles, benefits as long as the disability lasts, a fair and impartial system, all these things that the principles that he created the compensation system on are gone. Mm-hmm. Even even the courts now, they, they call, they'll say workers' compensation law embodies the historic trade-off, they call it. I call it today the historic rip-off, because the courts say that workers give up their, and I say no, they had the right taken away to sue their employer. In return, they got a right to workers' compensation. Employers had to fund the system 
and in return they got the right to immunity from being sued by their workers. That's how the system works, right? It doesn't anymore. In many cases, every province across Canada implemented what I call is forced return to work. Get back to work, I don't care. And this is what they will tell the worker every time. Listen to these words carefully. They will say to you, your employer has modified your workplace, so they're, you know, you're refusing. And what you say is, they may have modified it, but it is neither safe or suitable for me. They yes, never and use they those call two that words, light and yet duty. if you look in the law, it's in the law. Sorry, Echo, sorry. They'll also call that light duty in a construction situation. Yes, that's right. Uh, so light duties, modified duties, these words, but they don't use the correct words in the law and in their policies because they don't want you to say, hey, it's not safe, hey, it's not suitable. The other word that they won't use is disability. Every human being, when you're disabled temporarily or long-term, it's a disability. And as such, under human rights legislation in every province and federally, you have a right to accommodation to that disability. That's called accommodation. That's another word that the boards will trick you with. They say limitations, and they'll say, we set your limitations. Going as high as the Supreme Court of Canada, it is strongly recognized that when a person requests accommodation under human rights legislation, it's their right, that all they have to do is provide a note or something from their doctor that they discuss their disability and their need for accommodations with the doctor. They don't even have to tell the board or the employer what the disability is. They have no right to know. Wow. See, now this is what we need to know, and we need to keep having you tell us this after we get back from a break. Okay, Paul? Sure, no problem. Beauty. If you love building with Lego, the Prince George Public Library is giving you a chance to indulge your passion. The library has free drop-in sessions for Lego builders ages 5 to 18 on Mondays at the Downtown Branch and Tuesdays at the Nechaco Branch. Each session runs from 3 to 5, with no sessions on holiday Mondays. The library supplies the Lego, you supply the creativity. That's free drop-in Lego time, Mondays at the Downtown Library and Tuesdays at the Nechaco Branch, from 3 to 5 each day. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is hosting their Healthy Living Leader Training October 3rd and 4th at the Coast Prince George. Healthy Living Leader Training is open to individuals who are interested in promoting health and wellness within their community, schools, friendship centers, recreation centers, health centers, or other Indigenous organizations. Registration is available through ispark.ca. Healthy Living Leader Training, October 3rd and 4th at the Coast Prince George. Bringing you the voices of our community. This is Community Echoes on 93.1 CFIS-FM with Phyllis Warren. Hello, it's Echo, not Phyllis, and uh, we are here today with Paul Taylor, who is a paralegal dealing with a national claims charter against the Workmen's Compensation Board. So we were talking about, uh, what was that word, accommodating, that you just said. Now, you said to demand in writing, do not communicate with people at the board. If they want to have a meeting with you and draw you in there to give you an interview, you say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not no, taking No, 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 it's the doctor. If you're a doctor, you go to your doctor, and if your doctor, if they call your doctor and, and start talking to your doctor, you should strongly advise your doctor not to talk to them and say, look, if you want anything from me, the doctor, that they should put it in writing in a written request. The injured worker, on the other hand, if the board wants to talk to them, then they should. But if the injured worker... There's actually in Ontario, interestingly enough, 
you know, can the board, can the injured workers say, I don't want you to talk to me because every time you talk to me, you know, I get stressed out and I, I go into a panic attack. That's a disability, believe it or not. I'm going into more detail than you need to. Then you call the board and you say, I have a disability. I require accommodation of you not communicating with me. And I know it sounds insane, but in Ontario, there was a case called Lawson v. WSIB where it was ruled that the board cannot communicate with the worker, right? And the board said, no, we're going to suspend his benefits. The board, the, tri- the Human Rights Tribunal actually ruled against the, the workers' compensation board. Okay, so, so what, do you, what, is the, what does the injured worker do then that uh, has this happen to them, that like every time you speak to them, so you, would you in BC perhaps have the right to do that, citing this, was it yes, Lawson, VS, VW, Yeah, well, okay, so what, what people don't realize is that in Canada, the structure of law is the Constitution is the highest law in Canada. Any law, and there's a prim- what they call is a primacy or supremacy clause in it, which means any law that's in conflict with the Constitution is of no force and effect, right? So it's a prime law. Then you have regular laws and everything. There is another set of laws which are called quasi-constitutional or almost constitutional, which is what the Supreme Court of Canada says, and that's human rights legislation. In B.C., it's the Human Rights Code. Right. And same thing in Ontario and Alberta. In Ontario, I can actually quote this section. It's section 47, and it's called the Primacy Clause. And it says now, but it's tricky, though. You've got to be careful. Because in the human rights legislation, unlike the, the Constitution, it says that the Human Rights Code is the primary law in Ontario, B.C., uh, but then there's a, there's a catch. It says unless that law ousts the jurisdiction of the code, right? So, like, for example, in Ontario, the workers' compensation law says the Human Rights Code doesn't apply for age, it's really stupid, but that's what it is. But if you're requesting an accommodation for a disability, the code applies, right? So that's the only exception. The other thing that what's really interesting about it, too, is that the code actually mandates the Crown and all Crown agencies, which includes the Compensation Board and the Compensation Appeals Tribunal, to follow and comply with the code. Right. So in other words, they can't say, well, we're going to ignore it. Well, they do it anyway by practice, but they they're like anybody else that they have to follow the code. Right. Right. Hmm. So if you said to me, OK, well, then what does an injured worker do when they've requested legitimately a request for accommodation and the board ignored them? Well, then what you do is you, the first thing you do is you, you make a verbal request, ideally. Secondly, is what you do is it's, it's always best to put it in writing. If you're not a computer guy or nothing or person, lady, whatever, write it out, print it out neatly. Don't write a long story. The worst thing, injured workers always hang themselves with long, long, long stories. The, as they say, keep it simple, and that's true. The shorter, the better. And just say, I require accommodations for my disabilities, which is tell them what you want, I'll be more than happy to work with you to resolve this. That's it. Sign it. Send it in. They'll go, we don't care. We're going to ignore you. And you're going to go, see, Paul, I told you. And you're, yes, you're right. Then what you do is you do your appeal for your benefits, and at the same time you file a complaint with the, the B.C. Human Rights Tribunal. And the B.C. Human Rights Tribunal is going to say, okay, well, they're going to say, well, you got your benefits. Great. And you're going to say, no. What happened was because the board refused to accommodate my disability, I suffered an injury to my self-respect, dignity, blah, blah, pain and suffering, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
and as such, I'm requesting an award of monies of, say, $50,000 or 100000 or whatever you want. I don't know. You have to justify it somehow, right? Like, there's limits, right? And, and if you have the case, just like the way I said, more than likely you'll be awarded that money. You know what I'm saying? It's the only way that boards will start respecting injured workers as being human beings with, with human rights legislation and the charter. It's the same thing with the charter. You have a right to security of person, you have a right to equality, and you have a right not to be treated with cruel and unusual punishment. You were talking earlier about health care. The board in Ontario, NBC and Alberta now, because it seems Ontario does something despicable and then it flows to the rest of the provinces. In 2010, Ontario implemented very, as what I call is draconian and illegal austerity measures. And one of them was they started suspending health care benefits. For no reason, they would just suspend them. And they would, they would say, oh, well, they expire and you have to renew them, and they make you jump through hoops. Because they knew the majority of the times the injured workers couldn't afford a representative and wouldn't challenge it. So then you'd end up paying for the prescription medications and stuff like that out of your own pocket. And they saved all this money. For you, it's 20 or $30, but you multiply that over two or 300,000 people, that's a lot of money. Yeah. In that situation, believe it or not, that's actually a, a violation of Section 12 of the Charter. It's cruel and unusual treatment because there was a court case in the federal court of uh, the federal court where it was called Doctors Without Borders v. Canada, and what happened was is the judge said that because um, refugees to Canada do not fall under the Canada Health Act, that depriving them of health care is cruel and unusual treatment. Well, guess what? Believe it or not, injured workers are not covered under the Canada Health Act. It says it right there. And because of that, if workers' comp is denying you health care and later realized, oop, we made a mistake, apparently, you can then go after them and saying, you violated my charter rights under Section 12, right? That's that's my, you know, opinion or whatever legal, right. you know. Now, um, now for, the, for a worker to get in there and do that, they have to have a lawyer. Is there any way there would be possibly able if your evidence was so obvious uh, here's, that... Here's the frustration. Yeah. Like you we're talking about earlier, representation. My, my position on representation just for injured workers is, okay, in criminal law across Canada is well recognized that low-income individuals, when they're charged with a serious offense, I have to add in that word, because, like, the conservative governments have rolled back legal aid funding and all that, but simplistically stating that no one should be denied representation if they can't afford it because we don't want low-income people being thrown into jails just because they can't afford a lawyer, right? right? Because then jails become a place for just, you know what I mean? Like it's becoming a serious problem. Yes. Well, so there's that low income status. The unique thing is with workers' compensation, with the office advisor's office, there's no income issue, right? And it also says that workers have a right to be provided the representation, Right. Right. So, no, Paul, hang on Ontario. for two seconds. Sure We're going to have to look and others. We, we got to oh, take sorry, a quick second. break. I, I apologize. Oh, yeah, we sorry, got a sorry. break coming no, no, on no. us here, and uh, we want to start that whole little conversation over again. Okay. 
Back yes. Most everyone knows not to drink and drive and realizes that even small amounts of alcohol can be risky. But do we understand that drinking small amounts during the pregnancy can be harmful for the growing baby even in those early weeks before the pregnancy has been confirmed? We encourage you to learn more and to see what is happening in your community about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and join in working towards reducing both the impact and the incidence. This message has been brought to you by Angela Geddes Integrative Support and Wellness. Angela how would you interpret famous paintings such as the Mona Lisa or the Scream? If you're between the ages of 10 and 18, the downtown branch of the public library is giving you a chance to find out. Tuesday, September 12th, is the next session of Famous Paintings when the library gives young people the opportunity to interpret the old masters in a new way at a free drop-in event. Famous Paintings, September 12th at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library from 1 to 2. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly sunny with local smoke, a high of 28 with a high UV index. Tonight, clear with local smoke, a low of 9. On Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud with local smoke, a 30% chance of showers late in the afternoon with a high of 26. You're listening to Community Echoes with Phyllis Warren on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Hey, hey, once again, not Phyllis, it's Echo here, and we have Paul Taylor on the phone with us, paralegal from back east who is fighting the good fight against the Workmen's Comp Board and uh, government malfeasance. Yes. Explain. (laughs) (laughs) So like I was saying, um, I was talking about the Human Rights Code and the Charter and the importance of... See, what frustrates me as a Canadian is that, unlike our American cousins, they know every word, every letter of their constitution. And unfortunately, most Canadians don't know the charter. They'll always say, I plead a fifth, and I reply back jokingly and say, unless you're talking about rye, um, you have no fifth. You're talking about Section 9 or 8 of the charter. <laughs> but, um, but that's an example. And it's really important. Canadians should read the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It's not a complicated document. It's in plain language. It's not old latin english or anything like that that's right and and you should read and you should know your rights and when to enforce them and how to enforce them you know it's very difficult um when the charter i think it was there was an anniversary of the charter and they said who do you believe is the most important with the charter is it the military the government or anyone i said no it's the individual themselves right because if you know your rights you're the only one that can enforce them by fighting for your rights Right, right, and and that's why I brought the national charter claim because I started talking to other injured workers across Canada and found first of all I wasn't the only one in Ontario, and then I learned that Ontario wasn't the only one doing it. It's a national, as far as I'm concerned, a national epidemic, Absolutely. where the, the boards are are literally, as far as I'm concerned, committing criminal fraud on injured workers. In many cases, they're doing what one labor studies professor did was created the welfareization of workers compensation by transferring injured workers onto welfare social assistance <laughs> i think about that all the time payers pay the bill that's right well they are now because anybody who's lucky enough that it gets injured on the job um half the time their medical uh, treatments are denied they just won't even take the um the, the medical reports from the practitioners, they just won't pay for them, so they aren't put in your file, even though you have this piece of medical evidence, and then it's just you get stuck in the appeal process, as you were saying, two to five years, and then down the road, you're just hooped. So uh, you I, would, 
I was injured, Echo, I was injured in 1997. I didn't make it until the, to the tribunal until 2007. Unbelievable. And oh. the average wait time is between 5 and 10 years, and I just look with utter disgust. And I'm ironically, I'm still fighting my case right now at the tribunal. I hear you, Paul. I'm 1987, and my thing was that I was in with the federal government. I worked for CN Rail. So there I cross another boundary in WCB of confusion of who's paying for this because the federal government at that point paid 120% of their WCB costs. So, And um, that's another beef I have is jurisdiction. As far as I'm concerned, workers' compensation should not be provincial. It should be exclusively federal like EI. And the reason why, I can't count how many injured workers I talked to that like they did remember the great new i call it the great newfie migration west where all the newfies went to alberta and saskatchewan to work in the oil fields yep right and they would joke to me and i'd say why'd you do that and they go well because all the work was finished at home right but seriously like then when they get hurt they would do like anybody they went back home but then if they had to do an appeal or something they were forced to travel back to alberta or saskatchewan to fight their appeal oh yeah but believe it or not that is a violation of your charter rights because they're discriminating against you by what's called a Section 6 right of mobility. You cannot be discriminated by where you live. Absolutely. I had uh, an, a prearranged trip in 88 to go visit my fiancé's parents and, or grandparents in California. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I went down there, and uh, they used that to... to um, deny my claim like like a uic rule or something that you were out of the area so you couldn't go back to work you know i have no idea where that came from they're consistent and ongoing uses of um their what do you call the word what's the word i'm looking for here their tactics exactly thank you uh tactics corruption that's uh anything like that you can in ontario i actually call it is that like and it angers me because um, in Ontario, the injured workers are somewhat more organized, not greatly, but a little bit more. And some have, there's one group in Thunder Bay who's very active. They have a weekly talk show, and they were actually able to get a board member from the board of directors of the Workers' Compensation <laughs> Board wow. to come on. And he was speaking so highly of the president of the board. And I just said to I said, first of all, I says, there is no injured workers sitting on the board of directors of the WCB. I said, there's your first mistake, because you don't know what it's like to be an injured worker. You don't know what it's like to turn around and be fearful when your door knocks, thinking it's the landlord coming with an eviction notice because you can't pay your rent. And he's like, yeah, I know. I said, so don't tell me you're a worker rep just because he's a lawyer for one of the big unions. That supported Doug Ford, but (laughs) whatever. But it, it really infuriated me that way, right, is that the board structures right now in Canada, look at them closely. They're... There's a, to me, fair meaning like when you go into a courtroom, next time you ever go into a courtroom, whether it's traffic court or criminal court, whatever, look at the physical design of the courtroom. One party sits on one side, the other party sits on the other, and the judge sits in the middle. And there's a reason for that, because the judge is supposed to be in the middle of the issues and the parties and impartial. And to me, that's how the boards are supposed to be. But as you've proven time and time again in your conversations, they're not impartial. They're all for the employer. 
Absolutely. And it's not even for the employer all the time. It's just for themselves, it seems. And and like, where do these guys stick this money that they're saving anyways? Like, what's the what's the onus of, oh, of all of this BC money? BC hasn't saved? really got the effect that we have. You haven't heard about that yet. Well, let me tell you, girl. <laughs> oh, no. What's up? Ontario. So what happened was, is I'll give you a quick story. The In the election scandal, as far as I'm concerned, in 2018, Doug Ford got elected, conservative leader who is leader right now. Yeah. Right after he got elected, he told the Ministry of Labor not to enforce the Occupational Health and Safety Act. He said his, definite, his, his justification was businesses can self-police themselves, <laughs> to which I say garbage. Oh, no, no, this is garbage. As a result of that, between 2018 and 2020, there was a 90% reduction in convictions of employers. So, okay, fine. Here's the interesting thing. Then in 2021, 2020, yeah, 2021, the truth comes out. In the fall of 2021, the Ontario government announces they're going to remove the, the, the limit that the Workers' Compensation Board can give back on rebates to employers. And the only condition is the employer can't be convicted under the Occupational Health and Safety Act. Oh, the light goes on. Here's the best part of all. In, in the, uh, when was it, June of 2022 in Ontario, they had a provincial election. The WSIB, Workers' Compensation Board, is supposed to be, like I said, like that judge, sitting in the middle. They're supposed to be four injured workers and four employers, like both, right? Right. What did they do? They advertised that rebate across the entire province and on every media platform, on radio, on TV, newspapers, online, everything. And my thought, it came to me and I said, why would you advertise a rebate to employers and businesses that you already have their contact information for? Because that's another requirement. You've had to pay and be registered with the board. That's right. It was just some they propaganda. Never okay, we got to take another quick break, and then we'll get the yep, last 10 no minutes problem. of the show, Paul. We'll be back in a second with more great info for you all. Two legacy grants from the 2022 BC Summer Games are now available for local athletes and sport organizations. Organizations affiliated with a provincial sport body involved in the 2022 BC Summer or Winter Games can apply for up to $10,000 in grant money. Similarly, athletes and teams aged 18 or under can apply for grants of up to $2,022. Full details and applications are available at bcgames.org. The deadline for the 2022 BC Summer Games Legacy Grant applications is September 15th. Set aside your school books for your spell books on September 18th at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library. It's a non-instructional day, and from 1 until 3, the library will be holding a swords and sorcery event for children from 5 to 12 years old. It's the perfect chance to enjoy valor, magic, and fantasy, and yes, there will also be archery. It's a free drop-in event for brave adventurers and spectacular sorcerers, September 18th from 1 to 3 at the downtown branch of the Public Library. This is Community Echoes on 93.1 CFIS-FM with Phyllis Warren. Good day, good day. Yes, it is Echo here, not Phyllis. And we're speaking with Paul Taylor from... uh, Give us your handle, Paul. Ontario. (laughs) You are Ontario. No, uh, you are a paralegal from Ontario. And you fight WCB like the good fight, yes. Yeah, and I mean, um, it, it's. I, I think 
like many injured workers, and even you were saying, well, they're 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 they're, they're cheating or committing fraud on these injured workers and stealing all this money from them. And where is it going? And like I said, you might not be seeing it yet in B.C., and maybe it won't happen in B.C. because now the NDP has come in, so there might be a positive shift. So I'm hoping for B.C. injured workers that positive things are coming. I'm not saying it will. I'm yes. saying I'm hoping. You know what I mean? Yes, But I'm what happened well. across the country is the government is telling the compensation boards to give this rebate money back to employers. So in effect, getting way back to what I said earlier about the historic trade-off, where injured workers give up the right to sue their employer, and in return they get a right to workers' compensation. Well, tell me, how do you get a right to workers' compensation when you're forced back to work, or you go back to work but you're in pain and suffering from that injury, you get no compensation, nothing. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So you, there is no historic trade-off. But, the end up, but, but getting back to the rebate, sorry, I'm dancing around quickly because I want to cover this. So, so the what rebate, you said about Ontario, the rebate, 20, well, can I just interject to see if I've got this straight? Yep, yep, so sorry, now yep, yep. They've, they've set up mm-hmm. a rebate for all the employers who had never been charged with whatever it was, but then the year before that, there was somewhat a huge percentage of them had been charged with this thing that they aren't going to get the rebate for? Am I right well, what, there? What they said, what, what on the Ontario government did, or Doug Ford did, the Conservatives was, is they made sure that when they went to give the rebate, no employer had been charged because they said you can't be charged under the Occupational Health and Safety Act for the past two years. And it just happened to be that was the time frame that there was no enforcement, right? Oh, so, and they get, And it wasn't like a okay, few dollars. It, it was $1.5 It was $1.5 billion in 2022. Wow. Then after the election, they doubled it to $3 billion. That they gave back to employers? They gave back to employers. So, uh, wow. And yet, in BC here, that they bought um, all the staff Subarus or something. I think when you're Audis, Audis, that's what it was here in BC, like 20 years ago when everybody lost their minds. I can't see them. Oh, that's that's like you have to really, and this is tricky. This is really hard because you really have to watch closely at the government action and the compensation board, and you will see a lot of improprieties. Like I said. Why would a compensation board advertise their things in the media Absolutely. when they shouldn't be? Like, I can see workplace safety. And I even get angry in Ontario because they do these stupid videos for workplace safety. But if you watch every single workplace safety video, and I have no doubt, in fact, across the country, every single, and I'm not going to swear, <laughs> time, they blame the worker in the video. If you look carefully, the worker wasn't paying attention. The worker didn't do this. It's never yeah. the worker saying to the employer, hey, we need a safety handrail. And the employer goes, no, I'm not doing it. And then the worker falls and dies or something. Yeah, no, or they'll like, never talk about that Or stuff. like writing on the window of the foreman at, uh, at Lakeland Mills, clean me on the window because of all the dust that's been around. It had been reported. They'd been violated charged violations on it and boom up goes the mill and yet nothing was ever done and here's all of us workers standing around going but we told them and they did nothing what are we supposed to do and i said to him why did you not wobble the job where was your union you know i'm 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 jumping ahead here i'm sitting in the ombudsman's no i would actually say where was the law enforcement where where exactly like we are so weak with our enforcement agencies here it's absolutely unbelievable it's 
across the country because that's one of the parts of neoliberalism, which is giving business more power by weakening uh, law enforcement, right? Yeah. Like Doug Ford said, oh, they can police themselves. But what everybody's forgetting is what happened in Nova Scotia. I want to say Nova Scotia, and I hope I'm not wrong, and I apologize if I am. The Westway mine disaster. 28, and I again, I'm sorry on the facts, 28 miners were killed, murdered as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Not one conviction, not one charge, nothing, not even a fine. The Crown totally dropped the ball. They screwed it up. Yeah. It caused finally, after long time of fighting through labor advocates like the Steelworkers Union and, and Unifor and all these other big unions and QP and all them, for years of lobbying, they brought in what they call as the West Ray Mine Act. And they finally brought it in, brought it into power, made it strong and everything. There's some revisions. But you know what's sad is, Echo? To my understanding, no employer has ever been charged. In Ontario, for example, there is one employer that was notorious, the Toronto Star. If you Google this story, Fiera Foods. It's, it's a food manufacturer, prepared food manufacturer. And they had five workplace fatalities. What was ironic was the Toronto Star reporter, Sarah, and I can't pronounce her last name, and I apologize to her, she went undercover. This was an amazing story she did about temp agency workers and how they're being abused and everything, you know, because they're temp workers. And sadly, who gets really impacted? New Canadians, right? right? She did an amazing story on it. Right after she did the story, two weeks later, another worker was killed. The best part of the whole story was Fiera Foods was actually getting one of those WSIB rebates. Can you believe it? How can they get a rebate? Simple. Because, you see, what they were doing as the typical business is they outsourced all their workers to temp agencies. So when a worker dies or gets hurt, it goes against the temp agency. Sorry, temp agency and not them. And that's what employers have been doing for 30 years. So they get away with these dangers in workplace. Right. What we all need you know, to do, I guess, is insane. Yeah, it's it is absolutely insane. And uh, as Einstein said, it doesn't you know, matter you, the province. It's it's right across the country. Echo. Yeah, you can't solve a problem by um, you know trying to fix it the same way you've been trying to fix it the whole time. So we as folks have to look at a new way to to deal with this. Well, um, we, we got, have to we, educate ourselves. We got Labor Day coming up. We're so separated too, as people who are hurt on the job, and you think, oh, it's not so bad or maybe it is so bad but you know what uh, i'd just like to throw your um your uh, um gmail address out there for everybody paul it's uh, paul taylor at gmail.com correct no no it's, okay um, okay and uh sorry oh, take that back oh again. my email yeah, the, yeah that's the, okay um, you can go to fight wc right that's it fight wcb um at gmail.com or fightwcb.org is the website that I have for injured workers. I'm also paralegal too, and I'm not soliciting clients or anything. I'm actually overloaded with work. Exactly, right now. that's what I was going to say. I would, say I would rather I would rather injured workers get the education and help, and I would rather have the system fixed. That's I right. would rather be out of work uh, because I, I'm actually an injured worker. I became a paralegal because I was fighting my own case. And thank you for doing that, Paul, because you today have helped so many people with the information that we've been able to put out here. The, I, the other, echo really quickly, the other point yep. I wanted to raise, 
you talked about health care and the boards often do something as far as I'm concerned is criminal when they say you you can't take that medication when you're at work because if it's or, or or you can't do this procedure or we want you to do this procedure or we demand you do this procedure there is something when you're dealing with your body and treatment and health care it's called right of autonomy right of autonomy and the Supreme Court of 